like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Deborah. Short. Okay, does that work? Can you hear me? Okay, okay. Um, you don't have to read anything. Um, hi, my name is Deborah. I am indeed a compulsive overeater, vomiter, and drug addict. Hi, and um, I want to thank Harriet for asking me to be here this evening. Um, I have not a clue what I'm going uh, to say this evening. I hope God has something to say. And um, I did promise my friend Daryl that I'd say hello to her because she listens to these on the Internet, and she lives in Mexico now, so I promised her I'd say hello to her when uh, she found out that I was speaking tonight. She and I have been friends in this program for 17 years. Um, I came into Overeaters Anonymous on uh, May 15, 1981, which means I've been coming here for over 26 years. And um, I like to say that the only two things that I did right were that I kept coming back and I kept breathing. Okay, everything else, and, you know, those of you who have heard me speak before, that is usually how I start, whether I'm speaking at uh, a conference, whether I'm giving a lead when there's four people in the room, those are, that's, that's how I open, because the truth is that I only did those two things right. Everything else I did in really half-ass and backwards and um, ego-driven and um, self-seeking ways. Um, I uh, have been here over 26 years. However, I celebrated 17 years of abstinence this year, which if you do the math on that, took me nine years of actually being here. And I don't mean like, oh, I showed up and it came a year later. I'm talking about two, three, six, seven meetings a week. And, and I didn't get it. And two trips through eating disorder units, uh, some time spent in a long-term women's care facility, um, I am a true gutter-bottom compulsive overeater. Uh, I, um, I didn't get it. I would um, change sponsors practically on a weekly basis. I had the inability to be honest with myself, that it asks us in how, how it works to be fearless and honest, and I couldn't do that. I was still into um, how I thought, you thought, that I was supposed to be, or you could follow that back and forth about 12 more times. If I thought that you thought that I thought that you think that I'm this, you know, whatever it is, I couldn't, I had the, I was unable to be um, honest. And it wasn't until I began to truly be honest, and I was long out of eating disorder units when that happened. Did I get some time from the eating disorder units? Yep. Um, I did. Did I learn lots of things there? Yep. Things that I pass on to sponsees, and I tell them that it cost me $25,000 to learn that piece of information. And it's true. And that was cash out of my own pocket. That wasn't, you know, insurance company money. And, um, and all those things were really good. Uh, all those things that I learned truly, truly did form the building blocks in, in my um, abstinence, but it wasn't until I really did the things that were taught here in the tools and in, in that, um, you know, in the, the tools pamphlet, it talks about, you know, sponsorship. I mean, 
until I truly began to work with the sponsor in the way that I, that I was asked to do here, I didn't begin to get well. Um, I'm also sober. I'm uh, celebrated 23, 20, looking at 23 years of sobriety. Um, this year, sober was a lot, or it continues to be a lot easier than being abstinent is. Sober is about black and white, and abstinence is about living on a daily basis in the gray. I'm always living in the gray in my abstinence. You know, banana is fine one day, and then the next day, I want 17 bananas. I can't tell, you know, like, you know, I'm telling you, abstinence on a daily basis is about my relationship with my higher power and, and living a life in surrender, and I do not do that gracefully. Okay, I, you know, I'd love to tell you I'm like, oh, I do all these tools perfectly, and everything my sponsor asks me to do. No, I do not. I, I'm a terrible writer. I just, you know, if you don't like writing, ask me to be your sponsor because I'll never ask you to do it. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. You know, there are like scratch marks down the wall. I have to be in an intense amount of pain and miserable beyond belief to finally pick up a pen. I do not pick up a pen um, gracefully. And, um, you know, and but when I do it, I'm always happy I have. Okay, so go figure. You know, I still don't get the lesson there that if I did this more often, I would have made progress sooner. But I seem to make progress in God's time. You know, whatever that is, it's about God's time. Um, I have been told, you know, sometimes we can't see our own recovery, and, and I've seen it, other people have told me this, that like I'm a poster child for like the sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly part of this program. That, that would be me. And, um, you know, I had quite a day today, uh, this being part of it. Um, you know, I'm dressed like this, you know, all fancy and high, high heels and everything uh, because it came from a party that was thrown for by my sponsor for myself and my fiancé, who is also um, a gift of this program. And he likes to say it's the ninth step, ninth step promises coming true. Is that how you put it? And we came from that, and we're here now, and we're going to the theater later this evening. And I have a life that is full beyond my wildest dreams today. And, um, you know, I stand before you getting married at the age of 56 years old for the first time. And that is truly a, a gift of this program. Um, uh, you know, I don't know how I got to, like, the end of my story before the beginning of my story. <laughs> I got lots of time, but... You know, it's like, um, you know, when I got here, I, I, when I finally got abstinent, hopefully for the last time, you know, it's like, uh, you know, and people say, you know, God willing, I'll stay abstinent. And it's like, God's always willing. I have to be willing to stay abstinent. You know, what am I willing to do on a daily basis? Am I willing to, like, you know, not take another bite and feel whatever it is that I would rather be numb over. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, more green beans, you know, is my answer. <laughs> doesn't make you numb the same way as, like, Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> just tell you. Huh? So, at any rate, when I finally got the abstinence this time, 
and was still doing the same behaviors over and over again and, and winding up with a life that was, it was like the first step, I, I keep staring because the 12 steps are back there on the wall behind you. And it's like, I was doing the first step, maybe the first half of the first step, you know, about being powerless. And the 12th step, you know, I'm like, I was powerless and I was telling everybody else what a great program it was, but I wasn't doing anything in between. So it was sort of like I was abstinent and a bitch, you know. <laughs> I was mean, I was judgmental, I was arrogant, I was alone, you know, and I was all those things. But I was abstinent, you know, I was thin and miserable, you know. I was thin and miserable before because I was barfing for 18 years, okay. You know, I'm like... So what's the point of being here if I'm going to be thin and miserable? Well, it's about all the other steps in between. And the other steps that are in between is what gave me a life today of grace, of serenity for the most part, pretty much drama-free, um, full of joy, full of um, satisfying relationships, both at work. I used to get fired a lot. Um, now I'm in my same job for 14 years. My family just shakes their head and they just do not get how that happened. And, um, you know, it's because I learned how to become a team player. I learned how to be a grain of sand, which talked about in the big book, on the beach, rather than having to be, you know, the head man all the time. I was like the head person, but I kept getting fired, you know. I'm like, God, I kept losing jobs. You know, as I learned to become just a grain of sand by being here, I have, I have people say, come back. We want you back again. I'm like, nobody ever wanted me back again. I couldn't get back to the third date with anybody, like, ever. And, you know, and we've been together seven years, just about seven years, and, you know, he asked me to marry him. I'm like, oh, my God. You know, when he asked me, I said to him, I said, will you say that again, please? I'm like, my dad hear you? You know, like, Really? You know, and, you know, and then I said yes, and he said good. I'm like, okay, you know. And um, so how did I get here? Well, how did I get here? How did I get here? I, um, you know, I have compulsive overeating stories that go way, 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 way back to my childhood. You know, we just passed what I call kickoff day of the eating season, Halloween, you know. You know, kickoff goes through Thanksgiving, you know, the holidays in December, whatever your choice of. You can celebrate all of them. They're all eating holidays. <laughs> through New Year's up to Valentine's Day. You can throw in St. Patrick's Day if you want. If you teach school, there's always cookies, candy, whatever. So at any rate, we just went through kickoff day, which was Halloween. And my birthday is the 2nd of November, so my birthday always dovetails for my whole life with Halloween. And I remember distinctly going trick-or-treating as a child and then coming back with my brothers and sisters and pouring the stuff out of your bags. And then I'd trade for the good stuff that I wanted. You know, it's like, I want this one. You know. And so there's always this dealing. I was trading for food all the way back. You know, day one, out of the shoot, I was trading for food. And, you know, my food stories go all the way back in, in my life. And, you know... I always knew, I, I mean, and the food stories as well as the diet stories. You know, I remember um, when they came out with Diet Right. I was 12 years old when Diet Right hit the market. I have not had a regular soda in, what, 44 years, is that? You know, something like that, 44 years? 
I haven't had a regular soda in 44 years. I think you'd be like, stick me with a pin and like diet soda will come out of my veins instead of blood. You know, it's like, I'm very visual. These are like the things I imagine every once in a while. Okay, so I teach elementary school. Okay, you know, I'm like, the kids like me. They think I'm weird. Um, I tell them it's one of my more endearing qualities. Okay. So, you know, I remember my first, like, diet that I made up where I was eating bologna and diet right. You know, it was like my first diet that I made up because I knew I was too fat at the age of 12. And I, I look at photographs of myself, and, and I wasn't. But I perceived that I was that way in the world. You know, I had some girlfriends on the block where I lived that were, they were smaller, they were thinner than I um, was. I don't know about am. I can't know <laughs> what the right verb there is. What's am? At any rate, they were thinner, and I thought that if I was like them, that I would have what they had. And, you know, I look back now, and what they had wasn't any different than what I had. It just felt different. I cannot tell you why I felt different than the others around us, but each one of us has that story where somehow we didn't fit in. And I thought for some reason that if I was thinner, I would fit in. And as I got older, that thinner thing was, you know, get him, get the right job, get the right car, get the right everything, was all based on a number of a machine that measures gravity on our body, because that's really what our weight is. It's a measure of how much gravity is pulling on our body. So if I was that magic right number, whatever that was, my life would be fine. Well, you know, in the college dorm, I learned how to throw up. And I can even tell you the name of the person who taught me. Okay. I have no idea where this person is now. You know, it's all those years later. And um, it wasn't like I thought that I had found some sort of solution with this. It wasn't like, aha, here's the panacea. It was sort of like, oh, if I overate at a party, I learned how to throw up. Well, this began to take on a life of its own, not really quickly for me, kind of slowly. It, it took a lot of years before it was really something that began to interfere with my life, um, it, although it did wind up doing so. And um, somewhere along the line, I also was introduced. I was really a late bloomer. I'm talking about sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, mentally with the drugs and alcohol also. Um, quite honestly, I never drank very much. I'm a true compulsive overeater. Drinking was way too high in calories for me. I didn't drink that stuff. But drugs, calorie-free, like that stuff. You know, not only did I like that stuff, it took my appetite away. Cocaine thought it was a miracle. Like, okay, this is great. Takes your appetite away. And you can work out for like seven hours. You know, I was like... So, you know, as compulsive overeater, you know, I had both ends of the disease. You know, I only am a little over five feet tall, and my top weight was 175 pounds, and my lowest weight was about 102. Um, I can't tell you what I weigh today because I'm pretty much absent from the scale, but I wear, you know, size six, eight, you know, depending on the new sizes, the whole size, whatever. You know, I, I'm a healthy body weight today. And, and I'm a lot older, you know, than when I first came here. So, um, you know, I'm a healthy body weight today, and I don't use drugs or alcohol or throwing up or laxatives or compulsive exercise to keep my weight that way. You know, I have surrendered certain foods 
that I'll be glad to talk about. And I, you know, get there, I get there. If not, I'll be glad to talk about um, with anyone who wants to know. And and I eat a lot. I eat more than he does. <laughs> you know, my choices are different. I uh, I love my meals. I love my food. You know, I'm not a compulsive overeater. Say, so, oh, I don't care. No, I love my meals and I love my food. And you know, and I just do. So at any rate, I came to to OA um, from a therapist uh, who suggested. You know, this therapist, God love her. She wasn't really smart. She gave me her home phone number. <laughs> you know, there I was. I was calling this woman at 2 o'clock in the morning, picking myself up from the floor as I was, had been barfing my guts out, puking all night long. And she's like, I'm so glad you called me, but you're going to need to find some other people besides me to call. You know, I suggest you call Overeaters Anonymous. And it took me a while to make that phone call, um, but I did. I called one night. I was living in Chicago, and I called OA. I was um, 29 and a half years old, and I made this phone call, and I made it at one of those really rock-bottom moments, you know, when we're so vulnerable, we think we'll do anything to get well. You know, I'd just been thrown up and eating, and, you know, I, here, here's one of those $25,000 a lot of lines. This is a disease of rituals and practices. Well, I don't know about any of you, but I had the throwing up bathrobe and the certain place I sat and the water had to be a certain temperature and little combinations of foods so you can get them upright, you know, whatever it is, the disease of rituals and practices. And I had my set way of, of my binge, and um, it was just, you know, I don't say I'm bulimic. I say I'm a vomiter because... Bulimic always sounded too medical for me. What I did was really violent. It was not a medical thing. What I did was abusive and violent to my body. And so I had had one of these horrible, you know, binging, purging, binging, purging. You do it over and over again. And I made this phone call to um, OA probably, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning. And I can tell you it was a Thursday night because on the job where I worked then I had Fridays off. And 9 o'clock Friday morning, this bright, perky voice calls me. Hi, I'm from Overeaters Night. I was like, oh, God, you know, go away. And she told me where a meeting was. And it happened to be that evening. And I um, went to that meeting. And uh, that meeting still exists at, at Northwestern Hospital in downtown Chicago, 545 on Friday evenings. And I um, went there, and the woman standing next to me at that meeting, this, I guess this is where I heard that she said she was a compulsible reader and a vomiter. And I heard that, and there was just this shift happened in my life at that moment. You know, I'd never heard anybody say that. I never knew that anyone out was doing that same thing that I did. It's like, you are? And, you know, when I go back to Chicago, I still sometimes see that woman. She's still around also. And, um, you know, 26 years later, here we are still walking the same road together and still showing up at meetings and still standing up there saying this. And, you know, I have, in my life today, you know, if I talk about all these 26 years, I, you know, the things that I include were, you know, what I call shopping for bridges. You know, I 
was in Chicago, I used to stand in the, on the subway platforms and think about, well, this is an A stop, and if I jump in front of a B train, it won't stop. So cause if I jumped in front of an A train, it might stop, and I really wouldn't commit suicide then. I'd just be like a mess, and I didn't want that. And, you know, and I talk about, you know, are the rocks sharp enough under that bridge? Is the water deep enough? You know, my story includes those kind of thoughts, and for whatever reason, you know, God has kept me here and has allowed me to have this gift of abstinence today and sobriety and and for a long time, you know. And I can't tell you what made me willing to have it after nine years of still being here, eating and puking and eating and puking and, you know, getting, you know, 60 days and then going out again and getting, you know, I, I had actually in that first nine years, I did have three and a half years of abstinence and went out again. And I don't know why and I cannot tell you why I'm abstinent today. All I know is that there came a point and I was I was standing there trying to throw up and I just said, I can't do this anymore. I, I just can't do this anymore. I, I, and for whatever reason, I can still remember how that feels enough to not want to go back there one more time. It was... There was such a sadness at that time that I was doing that again. You know what they say about having a head full of OA and a belly full of food? There I was, I had a head full of OA and a belly full of food. And I had, a year, I had a lot of years of sobriety at that point. You know, I had been clean and sober for a long time and could not get this. And for whatever reason, I just couldn't do it one more time. And I've been sober since, or I've been abstinent since the 23rd of April of 1990. And, you know, As a bulimic, my bottom line abstinence is I eat it, I own it. That's it. And that means I take responsibility for the food I put in my body on a daily basis. I gained some weight when I first did that because that, you know, if I eat it, I own it. That could be three chocolate cakes a day if that was what I wanted as long as I was willing to keep that food in my body. And when it became like, well, that's not the food that I want to make my body out of, you know, it's like... You know, when I say I have really vivid imagination, well, I really do. It's like, you know, sometimes it serves me and sometimes it doesn't. And it's like, at some point I realized that the cell, you know, it's one of those like science kind of things. It's like the cells of my body are made out of the food that I put in it. So if I want good cells, I better put good food in it. If I want like Twinkie cells, then I'll eat, you know, Twinkies and Ding Dongs. And it's like, well, if you want to be here for a while and you don't want to sit, I'm like really vain. You know, vanity has kind of served me, you know, in the sense that I became willing to eat food that supports me being a healthier person living on the planet. It's sort of like, well, God entrusted you with this. And since he's entrusted me, I'm like I'm the trustee, and it will work better if I take care of it. So I became willing to to support my abstinence, you know, with uh, a better 
healthier food, you know. It's like, so I don't eat, you know, sugar, flour, dairy. That's me. You know, I sponsor some women who are able to eat desserts, and God love them. I'm like, God, I wish I could do that. And, you know, I might be able to, but today I'm not willing to take that risk to find out if that, those foods work in my life. My life is so amazing today that I'm not willing to take the risk of finding out if other foods work. Have I added some foods back that I didn't eat before? Yes, but I'm not willing to take the risk with um, sugar and flour. Just, it's way, it's like I have a healthy fear in that department. I just have a healthy fear. And um, there was, um, probably shouldn't say this out loud, so all I need is like my sponsor to hear this on the internet. <laughs> and I go, okay, so... Um, we had this party today, an engagement party, and my sponsor had made this cake, like a wedding cake, pretend wedding cake, like with the layers and the columns and the little cake topper thing and the whole thing. And she sent us off with the top of this this cake. And I'm like, what are we going to do with this cake? You know, it's like, all right, Stephen is sober, but he's not a member of our program, Okay. But I tell him that I have, we have like a reserved seat here. You know, this is the only person that I know that takes a Hershey's Kiss, bites it in half, and throws half away. Okay? He's still in that, like, control your food phase. Okay? But God love him. He says, like, you know, living with me has helped him enough. You know, what can I tell you? So she sent us home with this cake. What are we going to do with this cake? And I'm like... Make sure she's not driving behind us. And we dumped it, like, in the garbage can across the street. Like, well, we kept the little cake topper, you know, a little married couple kind of thing. It's very cute. Oh, what are we going to do with this cake? You know, I'm not going to eat this cake. I'm going to put it in the freezer for anybody. Like, no, so I'm not willing to get, I'm not willing for any reason. Marriage, deaths, babies, grandchildren, not going there. Just not going there. Sugar is not part of that picture. Okay? Uh, you know, so, and I am so grateful for that. You know, are there things that I eat too much of? You bet. Vegetables. You know, it's like oatmeal. Okay? I eat too much oatmeal. You know, I will admit it. I eat too much oatmeal. Oh, well. This, this should be the biggest problem that I have in my life. I eat too much oatmeal. Now, I am so grateful that the foods that I eat today support my abstinence. They support clarity. They support um, grace. They support an ability to be there for other human beings in my life. I had no ability to either have a, a long-term relationship, and that means a job, I didn't even have a long-term relationship with my mother. Okay? So all those things needed repair in my life. Um, until I began to truly practice the steps. And oddly enough, it came... Um, I go to the Saturday morning. It's now Ohio Street meeting. It used to be across the street. It used to be at the bank down the street before across the street. You know, I've moved all over the place. I go to the Saturday morning step study, and we read the AA 12 and 12, and we read one of the steps each week. And um, we had read the 10th step. And I talked to my sponsor every Sunday morning at 930 
and I always have to figure out what time zone I'm in because I'll call her from wherever I am. That's my time. And i got to tell you something. I really resented that she wanted to call me. She wanted me to call her. This is like my time. I was given my time. And for a really long time, I really resented that she wanted me to call her at a certain time. It took me about three years of calling her to figure out that she was making a commitment to be there at the other end of the phone to pick it up. You know, oh, right. You know, it wasn't just like me having to do this thing. She was saying, I will be there for you. Oh, okay, exactly. It said, slowly. It takes me a long time to figure things out. So at any rate, here's this meeting on Saturday. I called her on Sunday, and I was like, oh, we read the 10th step, and it was talking about all these great things that we talked about, and, and she's listening, and there's that, you know, that listening when somebody's listening, but there's that long pause there, and you're like, uh-oh, here it comes. And she said to me, you know, you can continue to apologize over and over throughout your life for the same thing, or you can work six and seven and change who you are. And it was like I had been hit in the head with a spiritual two-by-four. It was like I never thought about changing the basic nature of who I am so that I didn't have to continue to apologize for the same thing over and over and over again throughout my life. And it wasn't like I went, Yahoo, okay, let's get started. You know, it was almost more like I had to wait to figure out what some of those character defects were that needed to be changed. And it wasn't until they began to cause me true pain in my life that I saw, oh, maybe this is something that needs to be different. And one of the biggest examples for me, actually two of them that are like huge examples, um, the first one was sarcasm. And I was, you know, trying to be dating at that time. And um, this very nice young man called me Young, it's a long time ago. This nice guy called me, and we were talking, and he said something to me, and I answered with something sarcastic. I can't even remember exactly how the dialogue went. Um, but I heard him, like, gasp on the other end of the phone, as if I had, like, you know, hit the person across the cheek, and they recoiled. And it was like in that moment, I there, there came the realization that this thing that I thought was so cute and attention-getting and clever and witty was the very thing that pushed away the people that I wanted most to bring close. I was pushing them away. And I be, it was like in that moment I became willing to be abstinent from sarcasm. I mean, it went on the list with the foods. I was abstinent from sarcasm. And if I tell you that for six months I had nothing to say. <laughs> I didn't know how to talk without trying to figure out the cute response to whatever it was you were saying. I mean, the UPS guy would come to the door and I was like, thank you. It's like, I didn't know how to look you in the eye. I didn't know how to say, how are you? And listen to your answer. I did not know how to talk. And it took about Truly, six months before God began 
to show me what I needed to do in order to be in the world without sarcasm. I sat in meetings in the back of the room and cried. That's all I knew how to do. And I cried and I cried and I cried for all those things that I had said for all those years that hurt so many people, that were offensive to so many people, that there would never the, the only way that I would ever be able to make an amends was to refrain from the behavior. And as I began to refrain from the behavior, the people that were drawn to me, or older friends that were drawn and came back to me, told me that I was more approachable, I was softer, and that I was easier to be around. I'd never heard anything like this in my life. It was a direct result of being willing to let go of a character defect. You know, it was like, it was so clear to me, the results of doing this, that it allowed me to work six and seven on completely imperfectly on other areas of my life. Um, another thing that happened to me in that same um, vein in terms of six and seven has to do with interrupting. Interrupt a lot. It's annoying. It annoys people that care about me. It annoys people. I watch them roll their eyes at me. I, you know, those who have gotten close to me tell me, you know, snap at me. And um, there came a point in, um, in a business circumstance that I was asked not to participate in something because the person that I was with felt I was a loose cannon. They never knew what was going to come out of my mouth or when I was going to say it. And I was asked not to participate. And that exclusion was so painful that it, once again, allowed me to begin to work six and seven on the character defect of interrupting. And is it perfect? No, like no. (laughs) Has there been tremendous progress? Yes, there has. There has been enough progress that I I have a, a, a clear awareness of when I do it now. And I can sometimes, like if I'm interrupting, even stop in the middle and say, oh, I'm sorry, excuse me, I interrupted. Miracle, miracle, like I'm this complete miracle that I, that I even have an awareness because it was such a part of just who I was that that it's amazing that I, that I, that that this happened today. So at any rate, you know, what does any of this have to do with compulsive overeating? Well, it has everything to do with compulsive overeating. It it so has everything to do with compulsive overeating. You know, when I first came around, they they used to say something like that I don't, oh, God, I'm going to get it wrong. It's not what we eat, it's what's eating us. You know, it's what's eating us. And I eat over what's eating me because I didn't know how to share it. I only knew how to, like, stuff it down and hope that I wouldn't feel it. I hope that I wouldn't feel it. And today, I don't have um, that choice. Like I said, green beans just doesn't work. You know, bananas, 
a little better, but they still don't work, you know. <laughs> you know, they still don't work, you know, and I don't want to pay the consequence of them anymore anyway, so, you know. So the only choice that I have is to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at my feet. You know, I call, thank God for the Internet. I have to say something, thank God for the Internet, because I can email people from work. Um, I and get responses, which is really nice. It's like, oh, I'm not alone here. Somebody hears me. Somebody knows who I am. You know, the biggest thing that I, I talk to uh, with my sponsees is about getting your own posse. Whoever's on your posse, get your own posse. It's like I have people that I can call and start in the middle of the thought. I don't have to go to the beginning of the story all the time. I can start in the middle and they know where they, you know, they know how to be there for me and they have earned that right of being, of me being there for them. You know, we, we earn that with each other. We're there for each other in ways food was never there for me. You know, I, I've, I have a relationship with a higher power today that is the greatest sense of grace that I have in my life. I'd love to tell you that it was like the first thing I think of, but it's not. It's usually like the last thing I think of. The first thing I usually think of is food. Okay? And then when that's not, I go, okay, that's not an option. What next? And then it's usually um, the telephone. Um, am I really, really grateful to have a program relationship in my life? You betcha I am. Because Stephen's not only the love of my life, he's my best friend. And gratefully, most of my issues aren't about him, you know. It's like zero, you know. It's like, you know, God blessed us, you know, with a relationship that the drama is not about each other. You know, and, and that's such a, a miracle that, that I have this in my life. And we can talk about everything, you know. He may not get food, but he gets it. You know, he gets it enough that if I can talk to him, and sometimes he'll ask me, is your food okay? You know, and before I got abstinent, before I got to a a 12-step program, if somebody asked me about my food, how dare you? How dare you ask me about my food? It was the most invasive thing to ask me about my food, about my body, about... Do not. And you know, we have earned that privilege with each other. I'll ask my sponsors, tell me about your food. You know, what's going on with your food? We have earned that right. There is a safety in that word anonymous that we have here. And by being anonymous program, it, it allows me, you know, we earn that right. You know, I know that you're here not because you didn't have something else to do at 5.30 on a Saturday night. You know, it's like you are here because food in some way, whether it's eating, puking, starving, exercising, laxative, you know, our disease takes a bazillion forms, you know, and whatever form of food addiction has earned each of us our seats in these rooms, I know why you're here, and there's a common language that I can speak with any one of you that, Oh, that has, you know, been the grace, you know, of this program. Um, I'm just going to finish with this. I, there was a meeting that I um, went to one time that um, 
there wasn't a regular meeting for me. And it was on the meeting list. It said that it was over at the hospital at UCLA. And I went over there and I'm looking at the room and I'm like looking at the number and looking at the paper and, and there's nobody there. And I'm watching the clock and you know, I'm, I tend to be, you know, pretty early to meetings and I'm like, you know, I'm watching and I'm watching and the minutes go by and there's nobody there and there's nobody there and there's nobody there and go back to that vivid imagination I started thinking what if I was the only person in this world who had this disease and there was nobody else to talk to how sad it was that this you know it felt it, it felt so lonely in that moment it was as if the program didn't exist and I was the only one there with this disease and I didn't know what to do I did find out later the meeting had moved and it wasn't on the list you know, but there I was, and I was alone with this disease, and it had me, okay? This, that was a moment that I, before I was abstinent, that I went to a meeting because I really needed that meeting that day, and it wasn't there, and I was alone in the clutches of the disease. And it, it, it's, it was a horrifying, frightening thought to, to be there and not have um, our medicine. This is my medicine. It, it is the bizarrest kind of medicine, but it works. You know, sometimes I, I will talk to people who, who are newcomers, and, you know, a lot of people can come to OA because they think they have a problem with food. And I sit and sometimes watch people who think they have a problem with food be here for a really long time and not get recovery. We're really good problem solvers. I don't have a problem. I have a disease. I don't know how to solve a disease. You know, insurance companies don't pay for when you have a problem. Insurance companies pay for the disease. Okay. They paid for treatment when I had a disease, not a problem. When I finally understood in that place inside of true understanding that I had no ability to get well of my own, no human power, could have relieved me of this disease and that God could and would if he were sought, I began to get well. Thank you for allowing me to be here.